Well, this summer we have been looking at the animals in the Bible and what they have to teach us. We've looked at dogs, we've talked about the birds, and today I want to look at some of the less desirable animals, like the plagues that God sends on Egypt. With each new plague, Pharaoh has the chance to change, the opportunity to do the right thing, but he never seems to get the message. I'll just read one of them from the 8th chapter of Exodus. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your, of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up out of, on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifice to the Lord. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he'd brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields, they were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. <clears throat> Last week I thought I was living through the plagues of Egypt, except it wasn't frogs, it was toads. We had a, an invasion of baby toads in my neighborhood. They covered the grass, the sidewalks, the driveways. They were everywhere, thousands and thousands of them. The neighbor girls were freaking out. <laughs> but it was all normal. This is what toads do in our, in our neighborhood. Every year they come out when they hatch, and then they find a place safely away from little kids' hands and feet, and they grow up to eat bugs, which I like. Toads are good. So are frogs. Frogs are good too when they're living where frogs should be and in numbers as they should be. But when frogs start invading everywhere, when they're in your houses and on your beds and hopping into your ovens, when there are millions and millions of them, well, that's a plague. And plagues are not good. God sends other plagues on Pharaoh. That there's a whole bunch of bug plagues. There's plagues of gnats, plagues of flies, plagues of locusts. But each time, Pharaoh says he's going to change. He's going to change and do what's right, but he never does. 
Now, plagues of animals didn't end way back in ancient Egypt. Even in America, we have animals who are in places they shouldn't be and in numbers way larger than they should be. We call them invasive species. Last month, Florida had to quarantine an area north of Miami because the invasive giant African land snails were on the loose again. Maybe you saw it in the news. Now, giant snails are not exactly the thing of horror movies. I mean, how fast can they run? But they do destroy 500 different kinds of plants and are even said to eat the stucco off of people's houses. Still, what really worries me about Florida is not the snails, it's the snakes. Especially the invasive Burmese pythons. 20 years ago, there were just a handful of escaped pet pythons living in the Everglades. But as invasive species will do, these snakes have exploded in numbers. There are now over 300,000 of them in southern Florida. And they're moving north every year. And as they go, they eat the native animals. Pretty much every kind of animal. They eat everything from marsh rabbits to deer to even alligators. Populations of native animals have plummeted in the areas where the pythons have moved into. South Florida now has to pay python removal agents like Amy Seawe to help try to preserve their ecosystem. Look at this video. It gives a little taste of what they're doing. It's like something straight out of a horror movie. Giant pythons invading the Everglades and killing everything in their path. Except it's not a movie, it's real, and it's in Naples' own backyard. To try and get a handle on the problem, the South Florida Water Management District have hired python hunters to try and control the population. So they actually have to hire python hunters to try to control this invasive species. And like any invasive species, it's not that pythons are evil. It's that pythons don't belong in Florida or anywhere outside of Asia. And when a creature lives where it shouldn't be or expands into excessive numbers, well, then it causes a problem. Then it destroys things. Now, we don't have big, huge, scary snakes here uh, in Minnesota. But we've got our own problem with invasive species. If you go into our neighborhood, all you have to do is look up into the neighbor's yards and see all the trees that are dead. You notice a lot of dead trees this year? Most of them are ash trees. Because we have an invasive species in Minnesota called the emerald ash borer. And the emerald ash borer is, is really a cute bug. I mean, they're, they're emerald green. I mean, as bugs go, that's pretty cute. A lot better than a python. But they, they lay their eggs in the trees and then the little the, the larvae bore underneath the, the bark and they cut off the tree from getting water and nutrients and the trees die. One of our neighbors had five ash trees die this year alone, spending thousands of dollars to remove them. Now, they, didn't all, they weren't always here because they don't, they don't come from 
from North America. They only arrived here about 20 years ago in wood from uh, Chinese shipping crates. And in their native East Asia home, these, these bugs, the trees are resistant to them. And they have wasps that prey on them. And they have diseases that, that afflict the emerald ash borer. But the emerald ash borer has no, no thing that destroys it in America. The only way that can save your tree is by having expensive chemical treatments. Problem is that there are so many ash trees that it's no way could we afford to, to treat them all. Minnesota has more ash trees than any other state in the country. One billion of them. And they're estimated that eventually they'll all die, except the ones that we can afford to keep alive with chemicals. That's eight times more ash trees than there were elm trees that died with Dutch elm disease. Anybody remember those days? Eight times more trees will die than back then. It's amazing how damaging a little bug can be, but when it's in the wrong place in massive numbers, it's devastating. When I took my, uh, my first class in preaching in seminary, we were assigned random Bible passages to preach on to the class. And some, some students got to preach on Christmas story and some got to preach on the Easter story. And, and what I drew was to preach on the locust invasion in Joel. In chapter 2, Joel describes them as a great army that marches relentlessly, overwhelming any defenses. For Joel... It's a sign of the end. It's judgment day. It's doom and gloom. In chapter 1, he introduces it this way. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It is the teeth of a lion and fangs of a lioness. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. So what do you do with a story like that? I mean, well, first of all, if you complain, it's not fair that some people get to preach on Easter and you get to preach on locusts. But there is a message there. There is a message for us from Joel. Because complain or not, Joel's locust invasion comes with the same opportunity as Pharaoh's locust invasion. An opportunity to change. An opportunity to make things better. But all Joel can see is the damage that the locust plague has done. All is lost. The end is near. He continues, Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the Lord, before the altar. 
Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. For Joel, there's nothing left but the crying. Have you ever felt like Joel? Have you looked out at the problems of this world and thought, it's too late. It's too late to do anything about it. The plague of invasive species have taken over. It's too late. The plague of violence has overrun our cities. It's too late. The plague of stupidity and self-interest and lies and hate have multiplied like the frogs in Egypt. And I'm not just talking about the politicians. The plagues of drugs, of crimes, of hopelessness, of racism, of atheism have destroyed our nation, and it's too late. There's nothing left to do but lament and cry for what is gone. You ever thought like that? Well, that's what Joel thinks. But listen to what God says in the next chapter. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. It's not too late to change. It's not too late to make things better. Return to me with all your heart, says the Lord. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Do you know that Minnesota once had its own locust invasion? Anybody know that? Didn't anybody read Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House on the Prairie books? In the book On the Banks of Plum Creek about growing up in Minnesota in the 1870s, she describes the locust plague that descended then. One day in 1873, the people of Minnesota looked up to see a storm approaching from the west. Look like one of those black thunderstorms coming in, except there's no thunder, no lightning. Just a demonic sound, the sound of billions of locusts darkening the sky and descending on the crops, just like in Joel. They ate everything, and I mean everything. Every green leaf and plant, the wooden handles off of shovels and plows, the wool off of sheep's back and even clothes while people were wearing them. Their population exploded. Some estimate that the swarm of Rocky Mountain locusts that descended on the Midwest approached 12 and a half trillion insects, the largest collection of animals ever. They were called the Rocky Mountain locusts because their home was a small area of Colorado there by the Rocky Mountains. But when they got too many in their home area, the grasshoppers that were just normal grasshoppers, they changed, they undergo a change. They became swarming locusts. And they moved out and they settled into Minnesota and other states where they didn't belong. 
And then, as they ate everything, they laid eggs. And the next year, even more locusts came up and destroyed the crops of Minnesota. And the next year, even more. And it went on for four years. Worse and worse every year. People were destitute. They didn't have food. Their, their incomes were gone. They tried burning the bugs. They tried plowing them under. They tried trapping them, but nothing made a dent. And when the fifth year began, and again, there were billions of eggs in the ground waiting to hatch and destroy once more, well, the people in desperation turned to Minnesota Governor Pillsbury and asked him to follow in the footsteps of Joel and call the people of Minnesota to prayer. And he did. Making April 26, 1877, a day of fasting, humbling ourselves, and prayer. Can you imagine us doing that these days? For the plagues that afflict us? Well, everyone was asked to intercede that God would prevent the impending doom of those locusts hatching and devouring for yet a fifth year. And even back then, there were those that doubted that anything could be done about the locusts, and certainly not anything done by prayer. There was a, a group in Minneapolis. It was called the Liberal League of Minneapolis, and it was an early anti-church group. And they issued a statement. They said, we hold that the belief in the power of prayer is palpably untrue, its influence pernicious, and in this day, a marked discredit to the intelligence of Minnesotans. They concluded their statement by saying this, From the beginning down to this day, outside of so-called sacred history, there is not one well-authorized instance of such prayer having been answered. Not one. Nevertheless, on April 26th, schools, shops, stores, and offices in Minnesota were closed. April 26th was a warm spring day, one of those days just right for the hatching of the locusts. And they came out of the ground in force. It looked like the prayers were too late. But then, one of those freak late April blizzards came in. And it froze to death those billions of grasshoppers. The ones that did survive, well, they picked up and they flew off that summer, never to return. Minnesota was saved. Never again did the Rocky Mountain locusts invade our state. Which is good, because we've got enough invasive species to deal with. But I would argue that it's not just the bugs and the snails and the snakes that are invasive. That we have things in our own lives that are just as troublesome. Behaviors, thoughts, attitudes, how we spend our time, who and what we make a priority let me ask you, is there something that has invaded your life? What doesn't belong there? What has grown to take up too much space and crowd out other important things? Maybe even God? Just like the pythons and the Rocky Mountain locusts and even the emerald ash borers, these things may not be bad in of themselves, but when you put them in a place where they don't belong, and let them crowd out what should be there, then they are as destructive as plagues. 
But it's not too late. It's not too late to change. It's not too late to make things better. I got called on this myself while on vacation. Some of you know that for our 40th anniversary, we took our whole family uh, out to the beach, spent a week together. It was wonderful, precious time. My five-year-old son, grandson, Eli, had discovered a new game. It's called Pass the Pig. Anybody ever heard of it? You roll pigs like dice, and how they land determines what your score is, whether they land on their backs, on their feet, on their snouts. And he said, Papa, play with me. So I did. And I, and I thought we had a good time. But afterwards, Tammy said to me, do you know, the whole time you were playing with Eli, you were on your phone? No, I don't even do social media. But I was looking up scores of the ball game. I was checking the weather. I was reading the, the latest news feeds. Instead of spending that precious time, that gift so rare, to have one-on-one -on -one time with my grandson. I was on my phone. It's not that phones are bad. It's just that it didn't belong there at that time. I'd let it take up too much of my life. It was in a place that didn't belong like an invasive species. But you know, the good news is, is now that I know that, I can change. And I will change. My phone will be put away next time my grandson says, Papa, let's play. Because we can change. We can make things better. What's become an invasive species in your life? What has taken a place that it shouldn't belong or taken up too much of your thoughts, of your efforts, of your focus in your life? It's not too late to change. It's not too late to make things better. Even if that thing has grown into a 20-foot-long, 200-pound python in your life, it's not too late to pray and to ask God's help to remove it from your life or to put it back where it belongs. We have a, a park behind our house called Cary Park. It's one of the reasons that, that I, I like that house. Because the park has a playground for the grandkids. It's got some grass to uh, run around in. And then it's got a pond in this natural area. The only problem is that that pond has invasive species as well. Around that pond, there's purple loosestrife and there's buckthorn. You may or may not know what those are, but they're not good. They crowd out the things that should be there. And so I walk by it all the time, and I shake my head, and I say, that's too bad. What a shame. What a shame we got that. But one day, when I walked by the pond... I noticed a group of volunteers, including several from this church, who were out there in blazing hot weather, buggy, awful, but they were out there doing something about it. They were pulling the loosestrife weeds, and they were cutting out the buckthorn. They didn't just shake their heads in defeat. No, they did something about it. Because it's not too late to pull the weeds and the thorns out of your life. 
God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from sending calamity. So it's not too late. What's the invasive species in your life? They don't have to remain there. With God's help, you can have remove them, put them back where they belong, and have the blessed life that he wants for you. Let's pray. God, most every invasive species that ever came, came in just a little way. It was maybe a, a bug in a shipping crate, maybe a, a friendly pet python that happened to escape, or maybe it was just a, a natural bug that flew in from somewhere where it didn't belong. Those things that start out small can sometimes take over. And Lord, we confess that we have let things take over our life that are less than what you would have for us. You want us to be healthy just as you want this world to be healthy. So Lord, may we turn to you. May we turn back to you. And may you restore our lives the way they should be. And Lord, may we... Put in whatever effort it takes for us to make that happen. We pray that not only for our own lives, but we pray that for our world, Lord. We pray that for, for all those invasive species. Lord, may we do what we can, like those wonderful volunteers in Cary Park, to make this world a better place, to restore it as you would have it. We pray this in Jesus' name.